if you feel you're not good at something, look at what you believe is good and try to understand what they did and try to do it. You know, mm -hmm. even if you it means copying, just copy that person. Doesn't matter. Once you know how to do it, you do your own version of it, and from there you'll really learn a lot of uh, tips and tricks on how to get to those results that you love. Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today we speak with Pierre T. Lambert. Pierre comes from a completely different world. Well, not a different world, but a completely different country. Pierre was born and raised in Paris, France. Yes, the Paris, France. Now, Pierre comes from a background of engineering, but he's recently built a huge following on YouTube and Instagram as a filmmaker and photographer. I think if you're somebody who's starting a business as a photographer or somebody who is wanting to do YouTube full time, this interview will be helpful to you. Without any further ado, let's listen to my interview with Pierre. All right, so we're here with uh, Pierre T. Lambert and your photos are ugly. <laughs> Thanks, man. Tell me about that. <laughs> you posted a video recently called Your Photos Are Ugly. Yeah. What's that about? Well, I strongly believe that art is super subjective and anyone that tells me they don't like my photos, it doesn't affect me as much as it used to. You know, when I was starting, I was like, oh, well, you don't think they're good. Now I'm like, well, I don't care if you think they're bad. Mm. If I think they're good, that's all that matters. Now, if my client think they're good, that's also the second thing that matters. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was trying to get that message through a lot of people because so many people send us, and maybe it's the same for you, like send us questions. Hey, can you look at my profile? Can you like a mm -hmm. photo? Can you tell me what I'm doing right uh, or what is nice about my photos? Yeah. And I feel like most people just want reassurance, you know, and yeah. they're, they're not really looking for criticism. They're just looking for... Yeah, just tell me you like. I mean, some people even just ask you, "Can you like my photo?" <laughs> I'm like, I, that's a lot to ask to like your photo, but mm -hmm. I can tap a button if you want. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought that message is very important, and it's something maybe we don't speak enough about. We love to speak about gear, obviously, yeah, totally. Um, but uh, loving your art and loving what you create, I think, is is very mm -hmm. important. So you're saying like, kind of create the stuff that you're creating for yourself rather than for the affirmation of other people. So yeah yeah 100 percent. and i mean social media is amazing but it also uniformizes in my opinion a lot of uh, uh styles like what um I, it it depends but you know depending on the category you're going to look at if you look at uh, travel couples if you look at uh, landscape photographers or if you look at uh, lifestyle photographers um the big influencers have a huge impact that they didn't have before. Before it would be through magazines or whatever. Nowadays, mm -hmm. if someone like Chris Burka or if someone like Jacob posts a picture of a place, um, Chris Burkard, yeah, oh, okay, sorry, yeah, the... we interviewed him yesterday. Oh, cool, <laughs> awesome. But anyways, um, yeah, it has a huge impact on on the whole ecosystem, and everyone tried to emulate at one point, and a lot of people also chase photos just because they get more engagement on those photos and everyone's guilty of it. That's, that's in a way that's our flaw, but I like to remind myself not to go for that and just go for what you love. And personally, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if everyone loves it or not. Yeah. But if nobody likes it, then you won't make any money. 
then that's a career choice you keep it <laughs> you keep it as a hobby you know yeah. most of the people who ask me are actually ho you're right as hobbyists I the pros don't the usually internet. have mm -hmm. time to ask hey what do you think of my photo no it's more like hey dude uh, can you share how you're shooting that mm. versus how is my photo and i think that's a big shift and that's how i see things if you take an amazing photo And I'm super, not jealous, but I'm super like, wow, I love that photo. I want to try to do something like that. I'm going to ask you how and what stuff I don't understand about your photo that you did that can help me get the same result. Mm. I'm not going to ask you like, hey, <laughs> what do you think of that one with my dog? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I, I see where you're coming but, from. But I mean, if it makes people happy. Yeah, also, exactly. It's, it's cool. Exactly. I, uh. I have this new camera, this uh, Olympus camera. It's Micah Four Thirds. We were just talking about how you you went to full frame, and yeah. it's hard to go back. But I I like it. I like the Micah Four Thirds, and it might be bad in low light, and the depth field's not as good. But I like it, so who cares, right? Exactly. So. That's the most important. Yeah. So um, let's talk about your background. Sure. Uh, it sounds like you have an accent. You're from Texas, or <laughs> yeah, Paris, <something>. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're from France. Yeah, France. Uh, born and raised. Yeah. What part of France? For anybody uh, that might know. Um, I'm from around Paris, actually. So oh, cool. just a little bit south of Paris. Heard of that. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a small city. It's, it's tiny, actually. Um, it has a big tower over there, like a big oil rig. Yeah. So th that's similar to Texas, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and no, yeah. So Paris, but I lived uh, a very long time also in Germany. So, nice. And yeah. you met your wife out there as well, right? Absolutely not. I met her in Africa. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought in, you said uh, that you met her there because she was went there to school or Oh, something, no, that or? was after I met her. Okay, So, cool. yeah. So, I met, met her in Nigeria. Wow, actually. that's awesome. Yeah, that uh, was during my previous life when I was a cat. And, uh, a cat? No, <laughs> I'm joking. I used to work <laughs> as an engineer and I was okay. uh, in oil and gas at one point and I, I, I was sent out to Nigeria Okay. because I love traveling. So I would take anything that would get me to travel. Cool. And uh, I ended up in Nigeria for a year and a half. And just before I left, I, I met her. She was on a mission also over there, nice. uh, like on a special project. Uh -huh. And so I'm like, oh, hey. And uh, that's how it started. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. How long have you been married now? Uh, about, what is that? Three, four, three, four years. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we awesome. met seven years ago, something like that. Wow. I've been to Nairobi in uh, Kenya and Masai Mara and all that. Oh, really? Cool. Mm -hmm. How did you like it? It's beautiful. It's a whole yeah. other world out there. I mean, the people are different. The landscape is different. The animals are different. I mean, there's giraffe just like walking yeah. around, you know, <laughs> just on the side of the road. It's not a zoo. It's like real. <laughs> did you did you feel like uh, when you came back here, you were living in a different yeah. universe? I, uh, it gave me perspective. Yeah, I think that people who are born into Western civilization, uh, yourself included, yeah. probably just are used to the normal things like going to the grocery store and using our cell phones and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but when you go to a place, we went to some really impoverished areas, and you see people who literally live in a house that they built out of straw and mud yeah you know it really gives you perspective but i will say this they they were the some of the happiest most joyful people i've ever met even though they were poor yeah they didn't really know any better i guess is the best way to say it um and they were just happy that we were there helping and you know very happy loving people so as long as their needs are met with their cattle and their their water yeah and there's no sickness they're they're very sweet amazing people so i don't know 
it was it was a huge experience I've, I've been twice so oh cool yeah yeah that's um that's something i i found very important when i travel as uh sometimes you go in luxury mode mm. which is fine um and i highly encourage to anyone listening go in luxury mode if you want or because your wife wants to are you talking but, about like a vacation? Yeah, where, wherever you're traveling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, something more organized and like cleaned for Westerners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever you can, take those three days and go local. But just like just local. You take the local bus, you go with local people, um, sleep with locals. And mm-hmm. last time I was in Indonesia, I remember it was, well, it was last year, about the same period of time. Mm-hmm. And I was on an island called Lombok. It's just next to Bali where everyone goes. 80% of the people who go to Indonesia just stay in Bali, actually, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, because it's tiny and Indonesia has like more than 7,000 islands. And next door, there is an island called Lombok that was like um, really broken down, uh, broken down, whatever you want to call it, that was really destroyed by the latest um, uh, earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And then there is a huge island that's called Sumbawa. And between and after Sumbawa, there is Komodo Flores, where a lot of people go dive and it's getting very popular now. But people fly usually. So I did it about seven, seven, eight, in 2010, I went locally through that island with a friend. And that was a really cool experience because we realized, Sunny, we left all the tourist spots where everyone's asking you, hey, do you need transport? Do you need something? And we arrive on the island where there's no one. No one's asking you for anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes do their thing. And suddenly we're here with our bags and we're like, it's going to be an interesting 800 kilometers to cross the island, yeah. you know. And wow. I decided to go back and, and do it again this year just to see it hasn't really changed it's still super rural mm-hmm. and uh and you end up in buses that i don't know you you could see the floor the road through the the bus you know um every, the what? metal was so thin and, oh, and wow. like used that you could see everything under <laughs> and it's like a million degrees inside the the bus and no one's complaining and some people look kind of happy and you end up in villages where people are happy and they literally have nothing and mm-hmm. and uh, it just i i like that feeling not not as voyeurism just but to ground myself you know and mm. understand that life is not about what you have but it's what you have inside not outside that's so, right yeah. well i couldn't agree more that's awesome um what were some favorite memories that you had growing up of taking photos p- specifically were, were you a photographer when you were younger in your hometown in, in france I loved f- taking photos, um, but I had no clue. I wasn't interested in the technique of it, I would say, technical aspect of it. So back to your photos were ugly back then, and you didn't care? Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> photos was, were you're doing it probably for terrible. Yeah, just doing it for fun. You know, you're, you're, you're young, and you have a few friends around, and you're playing with a film camera at the time. Yeah. So I always loved the disposable cameras because I felt like, you can take anything it doesn't matter <laughs> but yeah. the moment i got a camera where i could put film inside i was like "Ooh, that's getting serious you know it's like i was a bit like "Ooh." do you remember what <laughs> camera it was back then uh, it was black <laughs> it was a black camera <laughs> <laughs> it was a black camera with a thing that slides at the front to open the the lens my mom um, had one of those yeah it was a black that, camera. that's all i remember about <laughs> it i don't even know where it is anymore uh but it was uh yeah my grandfather gave it to me but there, there are two strong memories with the photos like that. One was we had um, a workshop when I was maybe six, seven, eight years old in a black room, in a dark room, sorry. Mm. And we literally made photos 
just by using a lamp and using tools on uh, on paper you know wow. it, it was weird so i mean guys it looked like nothing it it would look like um you would have basically shapes of uh how do you call that of the tools uh-huh. so it would be white or black and that's that's it but that, that just taught us the concept of photography yeah which was oh if you hide a part it's gonna be dark mm-hmm. <laughs> if you light it it's gonna be white yeah and just that was kind of fun to do and we yeah and then i remember uh using that and playing with it with, with friends it, it was wow that's know. awesome that's a great way to just cut your teeth learning how to take pictures and understanding the science of it too yeah i mean we did our own thing with the chemicals you know we we mm-hmm. put the photos in it and we saw it appear this is really fun i mean imagine i still remember that's amazing yeah do um does your engineering background you mentioned that earlier that you were involved in gas and oil and engineering yeah does that come into play now as you're a photographer any of the skills that you learned so what I was doing as an engineer was uh, project management slash uh, supply chain. And w- how it helped me was more in contracts for contracts with clients, understanding that uh, legal is important, having like stuff square, also speaking with clients. Um, mm. Yeah, because the contracts I was working on was pretty big, like $30 million. Wow. Um, so the way you speak or structure stuff is very important and it has to be legally um always oops you always need to to keep it legal you know yeah and everything has to be contractual mm-hmm. so i know in in when we go freelance mode we like to do things yeah you're my friend you know let's just do it but it's also good to go back to contracts and, yeah, and understanding right. how to structure that discussion that really helped me the rest i think is just more brain formatting on how you think about problem solving yeah that's where the value is okay okay i'm not using the math so much no <laughs> <laughs> um you worked off the coast of angolia on a construction vessel yeah angola what was angola sorry what was that like uh very boring <laughs> so you're just off in the middle of the ocean yeah so um, the gas you're putting in your tank every day comes uh, from different locations so from the u.s um or from africa or from even southeast asia but anywhere you go you have a part of oil that is e- exploited from inland and one part that is actually offshore and the part that are offshore as you might imagine is like um the, the platforms that you see in movies and stuff like that mm-hmm. there's some here in california yeah out in the middle of the ocean yeah so you've got some right here in your background and back door background backyard <laughs> backyard thanks <laughs> <laughs> guys confused it's okay um if i knew two languages i would do the same thing <laughs> how many languages do you know uh, actually four five four holy four, crap yeah but not i mean the rest is the more i know the less i know if that makes sense like the, the first one are very strong and then it, it goes okay. down gotcha yeah um yeah anyway so your your platform needs to connect and pump out the oil and give it to the boat to bring it ashore and for that you have a ton of pipelines everywhere under sea and that's what the company was doing they were installing those pipelines Mm -hmm. cables pipelines anything so we'd be out there and we'd be installing pipelines and to be honest it's it's not that exciting yeah i mean it's like oh kind of lonely out there yeah 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 yeah. no internet uh i had internet because i i was always talking with the office so that's mm-hmm. good but i had friends sometimes they would go off the grid for a week too uh, and wow. then come back so yeah did you take uh, any pictures and photography while you were working back in those days mm, 
not good photos no <laughs> I, I would i would just take a selfie you know it's like hey look uh, honey i'm on the i'm on a boat in the middle of nowhere it's uh actually less exciting than i thought <laughs> and i can't go back ashore if yeah. anything so what what was that switch for you when you went from your career in that uh field of work to now being a photographer um, the switch was simply realizing that I could do whatever I wanted with my life, which is something I did not have ingrained in me. It was mm. more like, oh, there is a certain path that's good and secure that your family might have worked for for you. Um, and I was like, oh, that's great. But when I discovered, like, I don't have to follow that path specifically. I can also try to carve my own thing based on my interest. And that's um, and that went through a book that I, I stumbled upon, which was the Four Hour Workweek from Tim Ferriss. Yep. And I remember reading it. I think it was during a night shift or so. I was on the boat, and then I received from my university like one of those newsletter, and that I like, conference on is the Four Hour Workweek possible? You know, it was in French, so imagine the translation and the French people trying to argue about that. Yeah. Um, because we only work thirty five hour a week legally i mean okay. you can do a little bit more but they reduced it so okay uh so i was like four that sounds like <laughs> very minimalist um and actually i grabbed the pdf version because i couldn't get any book delivered obviously and at the time i don't think uh, ebooks were that common and uh i started reading and i was like oh it's funny that book feels like it's been uh written for me in a way because there are a lot of things in the organization that wasn't i was i felt like it was so inefficient you know i'd be in an office some stuff where i mm. i just was wondering what i was doing here sometimes certain days i'm like i could be here two days and do the exact same amount of work that we're doing right now wow um it's yeah, but it, that's just the way it was structured. That's just the way it worked. And I was like, okay, why don't I try to focus more on my personal interest and see what I can do with that? And that's where photography came into place. And um, basically, I scribbled down a bunch of ideas that I wanted to explore. And that's how it got started. Wow. So what was some of the first jobs that you had with photography, Move, you know, once you kind of got into it a little bit? Yeah, so the, the first... Um, the first two jobs I got was the first one was with friends of friends. Mm -hmm. So I decided I wanted to be good in photography because I was most of the time around Paris. I'm like, okay, our landscape's not going to work out, right? Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a bit difficult right now. But there is a genre I never tried, which was shooting couples, you know, shooting portraits, uh, people. Um, commercially, it's very viable and it, it can work out. So as a side gig, I was like, why don't I train on that? So I started training a lot. I would shoot anyone for free. And then one day I was I told friends who love their photos. I'm like, can you recommend me friends, you know, of yours? And they're like, yeah, sure. Here's a couple. And then I told that couple, hey, guys, it's totally free, but you can pay me whatever you want. You know, just like do a free walking tour. Yeah. Give me a tip if you if you like the work. And they did pay me at the end. The, when they got the photos, they got really excited and they paid me. And I was like, oh, great. That's my uh, first paid gig, let's yeah. say. And uh, the other one was with a, uh, how do you call that? A B2B. It was with another business and a friend sent me a recommendation. And he's like, hey, they're looking for a photographer to shoot um, 
how do you call that um, a shop and it was in brussels so i sent like them a, a quote like a real estate kind of no it was thing? a clothing brand okay. it's a clothing brand okay, so, like a fashion uh, brand in, in france and gotcha. they had a new shop in brussels and they needed someone to shoot the shop and i was like sure you know when you start you're like i'll take anything you yeah. know and just before i started training on how to shoot uh, interior photography <laughs> yeah i was like it's okay i mean it's photography it can't be that difficult so then i, I started looking into into it really training uh got better and the job came send them a quote Th that part is kind of funny because send me a, i send them a quote and i thought i would have to cover all my expenses to get there and everything it's like three hour uh from from my home and uh and suddenly they can come back they're like without even negotiation they're like yeah that works i will send you your train ticket tomorrow i'm nice. like a train, <laughs> a train ticket <laughs> what do you mean oh you're paying for yeah. me to go that's great yeah uh, i clearly underpriced but that's that's okay it's my first gig that's how you learn yeah man i think there's a lot to learn there for somebody who wants to start out the, the thing that stands out to me that you mentioned was talking about how uh you offered to do things for free um i think a lot of people expect to just start working and charge a thousand dollars or whatever and, yeah um that's really how you begin is you need to gather a portfolio of images. And, um, if you offer to do it for free, people of course are much more open to letting you just take pictures of them. Yeah. That's the most important, uh, especially, I mean, you can't charge, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, even if you, and if you do know what you're doing, why are you not charging? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're that good, people will ask and pay you, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I felt like, I needed to train and I was actually grateful that those people would take the time for me to train with them, you know, mm -hmm. because my first uh, shoot with my wife and one of her friends was terrible, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, thank you so much for being patient for an hour and a half with me. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I was excited by the photos at the time. Now I look at them, I kind of cringe. <laughs> and that, that is the fun evolution, you know, of, mm -hmm. of your subjectivity around your own art. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just so essential, you yeah. know, and I even, even when I was getting paid a, a, a year or two later, when I was getting paid one day, I got contacted by people in the, for the fashion week in Paris. And they're like, can you shoot backstage photos for one of our shoot we're doing with that famous designer? I'm like, okay, I don't know anyone in the space, but I'm like, how does it work? How does fashion work? How does a fashion shoot work? Actually, I had no clue. I'm like... I'm asking, are you guys paying? They're like, no, we don't pay. I'm like, weighing the pros and cons. I'm like, I'm not going to get paid. I'm going to spend three hours, but I'm going to see pro photographers in the fashion industry work and I'm going to see exactly how they're doing it. I'm yeah. like, that's totally worth it to me. It's Free better education. than a training. Let's go. And and I did it. So It's a great mindset. You just have to be humble enough to be like, it's okay. And I know it's very easy to get caught up and I should always get paid. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What? <laughs> do you shoot for free um i'm Can not a photographer. you for free <laughs> i'm not a photographer i'm a filmmaker a cinematographer that's my background I so, but i mean you're still shooting no uh no no just youtube okay yeah but it's shooting no yeah i mean I, you, you know it's uh, it's pretty intense i right? don't do anything for free anymore no okay um other than um if i will serve people that i believe in uh for example i have a friend of mine who's basically a missionary yeah and he does really amazing work and he'll pay to fly me to a different country got it uh, and pay him for my expenses but he doesn't actually pay me a rate and yeah. i'll 
kind of donate my time because I really respect what he's doing and want to kind of serve. I think that's important. I love what you're saying because that's something I th I was... So I'm going to a, a project in Polynesia right now. And uh, one part of it is going to be working with a non-for-profit, but I'm not going to do it for profit either. I'm, I'm not being paid. I'm just very excited to go and share yeah. the story. And it got me to reflect on exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. If you have a skill, if you're doing anything, you don't have to volunteer or give away money. You can just give away your time, spend exactly. a few hours and shoot for whatever yeah. non-for-profit you're believing in. I was a little convicted by that thing that you just said because sometimes I feel like when I'm doing mission type work and I see people building houses or whatever and yeah. I'm filming I kind of feel bad like oh man I should be in the dirt you know yeah but the truth is is the skills that I have are different from other people mm -hmm. and you know these people are able to help build the house um, but they might not be able to do the video that I'm yeah. doing so the the value that I'm bringing with the video with my skill set is unique and you know that's my way to donate my time it's actually more valuable for me to donate that skill than my hands to build a house but sometimes it's also good for us to yeah. put the camera down yeah and, and, and get dirty yeah. and actually do something physical like that but um i don't know do you, yeah, know, what I'm, do you know what i'm saying i i know exactly what you're saying and i had that huge question when i was there is this beautiful movie called harrison flowers it's a war photographer during the 90s uh who is sent to what do you call that area yugoslavia when it was like when all he all hells were breaking loose over there and there was like the civil war and the war between serbia croatia everyone um and it's about that that coverage and i always thought how do you not get involved as a war photographer you know how, mm -hmm. how, how can you pass all those people and just capture and not help them and they touched a little bit on that subject inside the the, the movie but i remember thinking about it and and i was like oh that's that must be so difficult and that's exactly what you're saying on a different scale where you're shooting people rebuilding something you know and contributing to something but you can't be on both sides yeah. you know it's just not possible mm -hmm. and you're not and you're you have a place in my opinion you you have something you're meant to be here mm -hmm. and it's not that yeah. you know you're right there is another girl or another guy just like you who came just for that mm -hmm. you know so exactly. do what you do best yeah in a, in a way yeah or if you want to if you want to go outside of that to kind of escape from your daily stuff than intentionally go to build or exactly whatever yeah so um so you've lived in a lot of countries how many countries have you actually lived in you said that when you're there for three months not even countries but just even cities in america um you said that you hop around a lot tell me about that how many places have you lived mm, uh so i lived uh you just start listing them off you don't have to count them really okay uh uk france germany um italy a little bit um where else um new york chicago and then and then the rest was mainly travel not too long term but like like a month or something months for example yeah i have about 45 countries or 50 now wow yeah that's so awesome the, start, the list starts to add up yeah and what like what gave you that urge to do that have you just always wanted to travel 
Yeah, I think it's documentaries. <laughs> When I was a kid, I, I, I loved watching uh, animal documentaries or, you know, like planet Earth type of documentaries. And I was always like amazed by those places on Earth. And uh, with my family, we would travel, you know, on holidays. Uh, when you're in Europe, it's easy to get to North Africa or to go to uh, even the mountains, etc. And I always loved that exposure. And when I was 18, after studying Japanese three years in high school, I was like, okay, it's time for me. I'm going to go on my own solo trip. And before that, I had been to several countries, but always with family. Mm -hmm. And when I did my own experience, it felt so good. I was like... There's so much to discover, you know, mm. there, there's no way I can't Nobody's close my back. eyes and go back home and be like, this never happened, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you travel, especially with maybe your family, uh, it's fun. But yeah. the more people you add to it, the more complicated it gets to travel, 100%. especially if you're not with somebody who knows how to travel, mm -hmm. you know? You might be with somebody who has to have a clean bathroom all the time or <laughs> needs to have air conditioning. Yeah. Which is a huge luxury, guys. Those are luxuries, but, uh, you know, if you're able to use the bathroom in a hole in the ground and yeah. uh, not live with uh, air conditioning, then you can really see the world in a really interesting way. What are some of uh, the places that really stand out to you in your mind? Maybe give me a top three or four that you really really love nigeria for being so far from anything else i've ever seen imagined or experienced in my life mm. like it was it opened my eye on so many things good and bad mm. i was like oh wow okay cool um japan because it's the matrix they're literally living in the century <laughs> that is ahead of us and very soon when vr is way more common they're all gonna disappear in the virtual world i'm 100 <laughs> convinced uh love japan there's so much of that crazy mix between history and and very clean culture and technology. i don't know it's, yeah and technologies which uh cities in particular in japan just tokyo just yeah. when you arrive in tokyo you just It's strange. It's strange. It's the Matrix for me. Um, and then there are more like iconic uh, cities like Kyoto that I really like. Or if you go in the mountains in Sendai, uh, I love those places. Um, but now I want to explore a bit more the rural areas. Mm -hmm. We started doing it last year. And that was really... Your wife it, and your yeah. wife travels with you? Yeah, for a full year. She, she quit her job, took a sabbatical basically. And uh, we went traveling for a year. Wow. Um, and yeah, the, the rural areas of Japan are, are so nice and quiet and peaceful. It's literally like in the mangas, if you ever watched animes, mm -hmm. where they're in the countryside and you have the little birds and, you know, <laughs> a yeah. very poetic way. It's totally like that. Wow. Man, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say because um, that's just not normal, you know, to no. travel that much. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's not. I guess it's not. Um, But it's authentic to you. You're not doing it for views or instagram likes it's something that if those things didn't exist i feel you and your wife would still pursue those things oh yeah yeah i would totally pursue that um and the reason is because i started way before i ever picked up a mm -hmm. camera to film anything you've got sixty-five thousand subscribers on your personal youtube channel roughly around yeah. that amount uh you have a, a travel channel as well yeah is that what you said with yeah. your wife what's that one called uh three nine pier and what's that so 26 27 at, i think something and then you've like that. got over twenty thousand on insta 
Um, so you're looking at, you know, a good hundred thousand roughly of people that are following you on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive, pretty amazing. What, what brought you to YouTube? Like in particular, cause that's where I live as a YouTuber doing yeah. camera reviews. Um, what are, what brought you to the platform? YouTube was that thing I didn't know about until that moment when someone was like yeah we create videos we make a living on youtube i'm like what what is youtube exactly because the last time i checked youtube was for photoshop tutorials you know yeah and that's all and i i had a narrow vision because imagine i lived as an engineer was trained as an engineer in a very structured way um i it barely i thought artists were struggling and all dying from hunger you know <laughs> that's kind of my mindset at the time was and i guess like, at the time too there weren't logan paul and jake paul and like these big youtubers where now almost every high school almost every high schooler wants to be a youtuber like yeah that, that wasn't a thing like five years ago no it wasn't a thing and i i used to game a little bit that's uh yeah, I used to game quite a bit, actually. But I remember watching a few streams, uh, not, st yeah, a few streams on YouTube or like tutorials at the beginning. And I was like, oh, that's actually very helpful for whoever is putting it out there on that platform. It's very helpful for me. That's so that's cool. But I, I didn't think I could use it. I didn't think I could create on that. Uh, I was more in my photography world and, and trying to figure out, yeah, just having it, doing it for fun. But when I decided to become a photographer, obviously I stumbled upon Instagram. It was not the beginning, but it was like fairly early. And people are like, you need to be on Instagram if you want to be a photographer. And this was very like 2013 or 12. So that, yeah, 2013, I think. Um, and mm -hmm. it wasn't very, it wasn't what it is today. <clears throat> and so I, I got into Instagram. I didn't really know what to do with social media. I didn't discover, I, I, I didn't have any blueprint at the time on that. And uh, one day when we were back in New York, uh, by the time I had really started to understood all those platforms, because I also built my own platform, mm -hmm. which is a booking site for photographers. Because when I started to become a photographer, that's a big problem I faced. I was like, how come I can book a hotel in any tiny village in the world on one platform? But if I'm a photographer, I literally need to rank on Google on first page for people to see me. Mm -hmm. That... I was like, no one's aggregating us and, and just putting it easily for the client. So I, I just built a booking.com for photographers, basically. And uh, it got me to understand the social sphere a little bit better. And when I got in New York one day, I listened to a podcast. Uh, and I think it was a family vlogger that was on the podcast. And then there was another podcast with Casey. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, that's interesting what they're doing. And at the time, I kind of, was in a creative block uh, personally I, I wasn't creating much and I, in terms of photography it was a little bit like oh, I don't know what I'm doing so I picked up a camera and decided why don't I do a 30-day challenge where I'm just gonna film a vlog whatever that is uh, every day you know and mm -hmm. it's a way also to show my family what's what's around in New York what I'm what I'm up to or, or whatever and that's how I got started with YouTube mm -hmm. I had no clue what I was doing like wow. literally no clue I never turned on a camera in rec mode before wow. So. so that's how you started yeah i just i just picked up the camera and said okay do it for 30 days and then so. i kept it for six months <laughs> so what like did it work did no totally not it was it was in a way it was um 
That was 2014, 15, or 16. 2016. That would have been the height of kind of Casey Neistat's oh, completely his height. Time. Yeah, and I was in New York at the time, so I was like, "Oh, that's interesting what he's doing." Did so, you see him or meet him? No, no, never, never. But do I, you want to meet him? I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> cool. I'd like to say thanks for for doing what you're doing yeah. because it's cool. I think he's inspiring a lot of people uh, or influencing at least, if not just inspiring. And yeah. I think that's great. The, but it didn't work. The you didn't get millions of views and tons of subscribers. No, I had videos with 17 views, and I was like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's not me 17 times though. Well. <laughs> Fast forward to 2019 and you're not getting 17 views. You're getting 17,000 or more views sometimes. What changed? What was that moment where you switched over and you had a blueprint and a plan for your YouTube channel? Awareness of what you're doing, I think, is 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 key. And understanding also... Niche. Understand niche and understanding that you're literally putting stuff on a platform that anyone can see and find but no one will see and no one will find it unless they search for it or someone puts them in front of them Mm -hmm. and that someone is the platform right facebook youtube whoever you want to call them uh whatever you want to call them and once i understood that i had to make a choice because i had been doing that for six months and it was fun because i created a lot of memories and for me that that that's very um enjoyable you know it's very it's personal project that was just a personal project i was pursuing my professional things on the side your photos suck yeah exactly my videos sucked oh your photos are ugly that's that's what it was there we go so my videos were ugly guys like really bad i was cringing i saw one today but Uh, it's like but it was like a family video it was a documentation in 2008 on youtube that would have picked up i'm sure because no one else you know um but I, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm spending a few hours now on it. Uh, I have to make a decision, you know? It's like a business. Okay, I'm spending time on that. It's not going anywhere. So either I keep it every blue moon just for fun or if I want to, um, uh, how do you say, it? ramp it up a little bit and try mm. to do something better, I need to change things because whatever I'm doing is clearly not the way to do it. Yeah. So I just thought about it and I, I pushed a little bit towards travel and I started making more informational inf- information-based content even on the travel side and that clearly literally picked up instantly. I'm mean, Not instantly, but that picked up really much faster. Yeah. And those videos would get a lot more views and that's how I made my own experience of okay you have to provide value Mm -hmm. you know like people just want to learn stuff just like i did in the past and it was also something that you were authentic about because it was travel is something that is really true to who you are yeah and it was it's easy to talk about that for you i'm sure yeah it's it's it is easy and it's also whenever you're going somewhere you don't realize but there are a lot of good information you can give to people mm-hmm. that have never been there and are a little bit scared of going a place or they just have like a lot of questions mm-hmm. and if you're able to help them answer that that's cool now i had to understand also that no one cares what you do no one cares what you're putting out on youtube like mm-hmm. literally no one cares if if i die tomorrow that's it you know oh okay cool maybe there will be a, will a few comments hey, hey have you seen his new video no <laughs> yeah. where is it that's it. that's it you know except my close family no no one gives yeah. a damn usually yeah. um oh i would oh thanks that's <laughs> nice <laughs> you don't have to pretend <laughs> at least have a good one a good beer for me yeah <laughs> so 
that's something that uh, I, I see friends also do the same where we think just because Casey puts his life and people are interested doesn't mean because you put yours people are going to get exactly. interested like, yeah. and exactly. it's a big big thing you know at the time um People make vlogs for no reason and nobody cares. And nobody watches them because they're not famous and nobody cares. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we, we're a little behind you. We're at about 55,000 subscribers. And I'm just now at a point where I'm thinking about starting vlogs because I now have an audience yeah. who kind of cares you yes. know, about what I'm doing. But if I started it three years ago, like nobody gives a crap. I have videos with 17 views. I'm being dead serious. Yeah. They're not visible, but they're, yeah. they're still there. And that's that's the thing. Um, I, I just wish everyone could understand. If you're ever trying to start anything mm -hmm. in the social sphere, you have to bring more value than yeah. whatever else to build is around. You know? And that's, uh, that's something I learned a lot also after that got validated by Gary whenever I mm -hmm. discovered Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because whatever you're saying clearly, uh, from my experience, clearly has proven correct. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, just thinking that I failed for so long on, mm -hmm. <laughs> on something just makes me laugh sometimes. Well, it's, it's all, you know, a learning experience. And if you zoom out on your life and you look at, how old are you? Uh, 30 yeah 30 30-ish yeah yeah <laughs> so like if you zoom out <laughs> I forget too wait I'm 21 I'm 28 oh yeah I'm 31 what year were you born yeah okay so you're 31 87 oh, yeah 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 31 so, yeah so if you zoom out on your life you know god willing you'll live to be at least in your 80s or 90s yeah you know, or like willing. 160 yeah, yeah 160 <laughs> I mean you still have so much career left, you know, and those little moments of struggle where you weren't doing well, those are so small compared to the next decade, tw you know, two decades, three decades of your career. Yeah. And just think that the Second World War lasted from 1939 until 1945. Wow. Yeah. That's six years. Mm -hmm. You know, my YouTube journey is not even like it's barely two and a half years now or wow. like almost, not even three years. Yeah. Which is nothing nothing when i think about it like that like you said mm. oh that guy stayed in the camp for freaking three years and got or in prison for 25 years i'm like yeah it's it's okay i can i can <laughs> fail for another six months that's oh, wow. cool <laughs> it went real dark real quick um <laughs> i think those darkness also shines a much brighter light on the rest of your life and i think it's yeah. good to ground yourself so because the other half of my life uh is youtube I like to ask other YouTubers about their process because I'm just nerdy and curious. What does your process look like when you're coming up with a video? Uh, maybe you have an app that you use to organize your thoughts. Um, and then do you script things out? Do you just kind of improvise it? What's your process like when you, have a, when you come up with a concept and the execution? Can I ask you a question first? Yeah. How do I do it? <laughs> no. When does the idea come to you? Uh, it's just random. It's random? Yeah, it's usually random. Or if I'm on Twitter and I see a new thing, it'll be like, oh, I want to talk about that because it's a new thing. We are a gear review channel, uh, and we'll get on that later because I know you have strong feelings about gear. Um, <laughs> Who but, doesn't? Yeah. But uh, 
yeah, it's just random. Sometimes in the shower, oftentimes at midnight when I'm laying in bed and I wake up and then I open up my phone and it wakes up my wife. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just writing down an idea. And she's like, will you stop working? And I'm like, I'm just, ah, sorry, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. Sorry, I'm a genius. She's like, yeah, exactly. I married a, a beautiful, amazing woman who is really the opposite uh, from me in terms of her mindset with work. And it really keeps me grounded, and um, it's a great balance. Oh, that's awesome. But it's hard for her to understand, like, at midnight, sometimes I'll be thinking about work yeah. instead of sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, I, I know those moments. Yeah. But <laughs> um, what about you? How do you... So my process is every every now and then, not as often as I would like to, I will sit down and take a piece of paper or just open, like, I use OneNote mainly okay. because it goes across platforms. Um, and I just write as many ideas pop up in my mind. I put nice. some good music and just, just try to find ideas. Um, always but, trying to think back to whatever, whatever, the, whatever I learned that really changed something uh, in my work or in my life. And what kind of value can I, can I get to? And I just write down those ideas and then I usually... On paper? I, yeah, on paper or on the app. Depends. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Some people are very like romantic with the pen to paper, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's very... It's different, isn't it? It's different. It's right. different. And there's no way you're going to get distracted by anything else. Like not even the brightness of your paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. It's yeah. like a pen paper. How bad can it be? You know, yeah. you might have to tweak the pen could the pen could stop working and then yeah. you would fiddle with like 20 pens for an hour yeah that's possible but <laughs> you're just pushing it then yeah um do you procrastinate not much yeah not a little bit yeah i do I, i'm a procrastinator yeah, yeah. I, I do a little bit um but i someone said something to me one day he's saying you never finish what you say you will finish and to I, you? I was they said yeah, that to you yeah and i was like 14 i was like what are you talking about and I and I remember it struck with me, and since then I'm like I'm always gonna do what I say I'm gonna do. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> just because important. I didn't like the feeling of being caught that's in important. not finishing something, so I'm like I'm always gonna try to to do it. Now you can tell yourself anything, so you can always procrastinate. You know, you yeah. can always find a good excuse in your mind yeah, to yeah. push something on the side. I don't know. I um, the cr the cramming part. Those like okay, this thing needs to be done by tomorrow morning. And it's 10 o'clock at night and I just crank it out. Like there's some energy there that happens. I don't know why, but the stress. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stress. You, you go into a creative flow, no? Yeah. When you do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the urgency pushes you in that flow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's it's addictive part. To me, for me. I've always liked that, uh, adrenaline of like cramming it, you know? Yeah. That's why I do the photography challenges also with like 10 minutes just because oh, it, it pushes me also. Because you might spend an hour walking around and doing nothing. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, stop st <laughs> stop messing around. You've yeah. got 10 minutes. You better make stuff happen now. But anyway, so you, you write out your ideas and then what? Write out the ideas and when it's time to make a video or when I'm feeling... Uh, because just like you have random ideas coming at random times, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to make a video on that. Now I'm going to write the video in the list. I'm going to start describing the video like super shortly like bullet points yeah bullet points uh let's say what is the last video airport security and travel 
you know, a lot of people were asking me, how can you travel with so much stuff? I was like, great video, let's do it. Um, TSA pre-check. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's um, what I have. I don't moment. even have it. You don't? You no. need it, dude. Oh, uh, I'm waiting for... You can get the international No, one. I need another paperwork from... Uh, uh, to, to finish, yeah, anyway. Because the laws changed now. They, like, scan your camera bags and everything, take the batteries and drones out. It's annoying. Yeah, but it's not that bad. So, uh, back to the I process. I need to watch your video. Yeah, you need to. I don't get in trouble. Like, the U.S. is not the, the worst for me, like, clearly. Yeah. But Anyways, so you come up with a concept. Come up with the concept. Bullet point, bullet point. I was like, okay, like, three parts, I think, are important in that topic, which is basically TSA. One is airline, and another one is just... Uh, um, like, how do you pack? Like, where would you put your stuff? You know, what goes in your carry-on and what goes in your check-in? Yeah. And uh, and from that, I had to develop a little bit the points, like mm-hmm. writing down, like, wh- how I want to structure my intro, what interesting stuff I want to share in that video. And and that way, it's it's just, uh, how do you call that? Cheat sheet? Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah. It's I, just I a cheat sheet whenever I'm, I'm shooting to go back to it. If I script too much, I lose a little bit of, easiness or authenticity and then i get just get stuck with with that Mm -hmm. um but if i write just points that helps and if i'm really stuck and i can't speak which happens sometimes i have 25 takes for the single like line uh, i'm like all right let's try it a little bit later but having a little bit of bullet points that really helps me usually yeah and then what is your editing do you edit in premiere final final Cut? cut pro yeah 10 uh yeah i guess yeah, yeah. 10 the la- one of the latest yeah yeah that's what we use too yeah it's I, fast it's so <laughs> yeah I, I use a laptop and it works fine on my laptop yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah i just find it so much faster yeah it's um i know a lot of friends are all about premiere i'm like it's great i'm like you you, you look like you're touching a lot of keys to do the same thing i'm doing but yeah, i won't judge you you say it's faster you say it's yeah, faster exactly um thumbnails you have beautiful thumbnails oh thanks i really love your thumbnails like when did you realize that taking good thumbnails was important? Because I know for me that was a big a big deal when I realized that. On the first channel, I clearly realized that. Um, and I remember doing those travel vlogs or travel videos and always struggling. I've always struggled with thumbnails. I arrive at the end, I edited the video, I finished shooting. I'm like, oh, God, I forgot the thumbnail again. Yeah, you and like thumbnail is like ninety percent of your video. I know it really is. It's ninety percent of the success of that video. So, for example, uh, yesterday I was at the airport. I'm like, I have a great thumbnail idea. What happened? I left the airport, <laughs> arrived home, and I had no thumbnail. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's great. I'm gonna put you know my phone in selfie mode. I'm gonna put it in the um, bucket uh, at the airport TSA. I'm gonna hold my camera and look inside, and I'm gonna take a selfie while I'm at the TSA. You know, that's I mean, it's a little bit tricky, but it can be done. And I I never did it. You just forgot. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. I got caught up with the guy telling me put your stuff down, um, and then. Uh, I tried to take another selfie a little bit later at the end of the airport, but it wasn't my original idea. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, there's a plane in the background, there's me, there's a camera. That it could works. work. Yeah, uh, that's that's what has to happen a lot of times. I um, I find myself, especially as a YouTuber, uh, just kind of having to think on my feet a lot. There's usually a plan A, and then there's a plan B, and then sometimes you get to plan C, D, E, you know, like yeah. you just have to kind of go with the flow sometimes and deal with the fact that you miss that opportunity but not get hung up on like oh man like now i'm not gonna do it because i didn't get that thing it's like no just get creative you can 
can Photoshop something, you know, and yeah. kind of make it work. Yeah, that's a, you, you're touching on a very, very, very good point, which is you have to work with what you have and don't get hung up on that. I think that's a big one. Um, I think I'm good at not getting hung up, mm -hmm. maybe too good. <laughs> <laughs> But what I'm working very hard on right now is going through a list of shots, mm -hmm. you know, and being way more thorough in my approach to that meaning okay i need a shot of me walking here i need a shot of just my shoes walking for example i need a shot of the camera on the table you know a lot of small shots small details mm -hmm. that i keep forgetting every time but mm -hmm. to me they add a lot in the stories yeah you know they it's it just make it versus uh one, just looking at people speak It's mm -hmm. also much nicer to have like B-rolls, like a little mm -hmm. bit of stuff explaining. And I'm sure you know it. With my, friend, uh, my friend Levi Allen, he uh, has actually worked with Casey Neistat during one of his vlogs. And he said the, the biggest thing that he learned about that uh, shoot was how uh, Casey just shot for the edit so well. He honestly didn't shoot very much throughout the day. Um, But when you put it all together, every single shot was very intentional and he used every shot that he shot because he had the edit in his mind already. And so all he had to do is just execute those shots. He only needed 20, 30 minutes of footage to make a 10 minute vlog. And there you go. You know, like that's awesome that and that's the sign of a real pro who, you know, he's made 300 vlogs or whatever, yeah. you know, or more. Um, how, how many? What's your ratio like? shoot versus well export. i'm we have a different channel than uh than than that style connor uh mccaskill is my shooter editor he's actually behind the uh computer over there you met him earlier and um so i actually have a shooter full-time yeah uh which is a completely different that's awesome thing and it i will i, I, I will say one <laughs> i will say it is really nice because i'm able to focus more on the content um and we're able to kind of bounce ideas back and forth which is nice and because we pretty much only review gear uh the format of the show is kind of repeatable so mm -hmm. it's like today we're talking about blank okay here's my bullet points about the specs of this thing let's go get some examples and then we'll just film a bunch of b-roll and call it a day you know that's great um but as i'm experimenting with my personal channel i'm trying to maybe get into vlogs and things yeah. like that do you do you find yourself feeling awkward when you're filming yourself in public by yourself how do you push through that like hi i'm talking to a camera and there's a hundred people around me staring at me right now i so much wish right now i could show you <laughs> like footage i have from yesterday that i'm never gonna use <laughs> where it's just me looking at the camera realizing there are people behind me looking at me all around me And I'm like, mm, you know, and then in my head, again, it's just like shooting strangers in the street or approaching people or even a girl. Mm -hmm. What's, what do you want? You know, mm -hmm. do you want to do you want to make that vlog or do you want to go home and cry because you didn't get it? <laughs> no, I'm being serious. It's yeah. like it's literally like that. I'm like, that guy doesn't care what I'm doing. You know, he's on his phone. He's going to do his life. You know, that girl's going to go home and have a good laugh saying, oh, I saw someone film himself in a, in a train yeah. today. If anything, they know what you're doing because now it's so normal to see vloggers on the internet, you know, probably like, oh, that's that's a real YouTuber. Oh, that's yeah. cool. You know? <laughs> But I think the challenge when, when and if, if you do 
it in public uh, like that. I think the challenge is keeping the same energy level mm -hmm. when you're in public yeah. with your voice. So I have the last video I dropped has three different intros. I had to choose one. One of them is me coming out of the plane, like literally out of the door and saying good morning and, and what are we going to talk about? The energy, because I knew the steward was just behind and there were people in front of me. The energy, I, you can, I can cut through, I can understand exactly in what mood I was mm -hmm. and that I wasn't feeling at my most confident. Another mm -hmm. one is like I'm on a ramp, um, it's moving and there are people everywhere, but I'm way more confident just because there are too many people. You know, when there are too many, you just don't care anymore. Yeah. And the last one is just me almost by myself. And there the energy level is way higher. So I had to make a choice. And I think if you're able to get that high energy level wherever, that's amazing. Yeah. But the problem is you might get really loud. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, what the heck? Man? Exactly. Um, mirrorless cameras or DSLR cameras? Which one do you shoot on? I uh, have a guess which one it is. I'm looking at your camera right behind you there. Um, but you know let's keep the suspense a little bit more yeah it's so black it's, it's black square. <laughs> it's square um i'm mirrorless right now i switched about a year and a month ago so i haven't touched a dslr since no i'm kidding uh um, what were you shooting on a canon i was shooting before on nikon d750 okay. with the gh5 when As i started the world camera? tour yeah but I didn't want to carry two camera bodies uh, during that tour just because we're going for a year and it's not practical. Yeah. So I decided, okay, I have to do something and I have to get rid of one of the cameras. So I got rid of the D750 and for a full month in Taiwan and a little bit in the Philippines, I was shooting with just with the GH5. But the photos... Photos on Micro oh Four Thirds are not good. Yeah, it wasn't in... It wasn't even as good as my D750, which was like three, three years or four years older at the time. Isn't it strange? Years. I think the dynamic range on the on the Micro Four Thirds system is not as good. The yeah, the sharpness is there. They can sometimes be really sharp, um, but the like you said before, the depth of field is. Even when I was get. editing, it felt exactly. It felt. Eh. I don't know. I was it's cringing. Like, it's like slightly better than a phone, but not really. Yeah, I, I was. I was a bit. But the video is great. The, exactly the video turns out well uh which which is cool but i i, I talked to a friend who was joining me in the philippines i'm like bring me my nikon i absolutely need it back <laughs> i don't care if i have to carry it everywhere like three times the weight bring me my 7200 and my 3514 i i need it back uh so that's i got it back and then when we went to Thailand, i asked another friend uh, the sony a7r3 just came out and i was like oh it's perfect i can replace everything with just that wow and then came a big dilemma because it ended up being the same cost as buying a 1DX Mark II yeah. with uh, the set of lenses, but secondhand. Mm -hmm. What would you have done? Imagine you can get a Sony A7R 3 163528 and 72228 brand new or 1DX Mark II new and 163528 and 72228 secondhand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's a good question. I probably, because a canon fan i maybe would go that way but i do see the value for you going with the sony because of the lightness it's a lot smaller and the video quality is better easier to manage yeah uh, the one ds i, I struggle a lot I, I owned a 1dc which yeah. was the cinema version of the 1dx oh not the not the mark ii but yeah. the, the original 1dx and i went to alaska with it 
it was like negative 30 degrees and uh i really valued the size of it the build yeah. and those cameras are tanks so yeah there it is, always works there is something about that too like you could be in the middle of the jungle and get water spilled all over your camera and if you had a 1dx you know no problem yeah you know? That that was my biggest struggle, and I was like, "Oh God, the weight I don't know. of it, but is it's heavy. so big." Mm. And then I realized it wouldn't fit in the backpack anyway. Mm. I mean, it would fit, but there would be just a body. So having yeah. a seventy two hundred plus a one DX Mark II, I was like, oh, "That's not possible." Yeah, exactly. So I went so for the Sony. Sony. So you have the R three. Yeah, Sony R three, and uh, and I was super happy with it. Yeah. Like very, very happy. You get stabilization on the sensor too, which you don't get on Th- the. That was Canon. a big one also, and I was just thinking. I mean, Sony is is ready for a very good run right yeah. now. So the color's like, great on it. Yeah, so color's great. Autofocus uh, is great. The lenses that are, they're dropping are really good too now. Way more megapixels. So when you're taking photos wide with your sixteen to thirty five, you can crop in if you want. Oh yeah, I do. A lot. (laughs) A lot. Um, So, um, gear addictions. That's something that you've talked about before. Uh, Besides the obvious gear, besides the gear doesn't matter approach, like, what do you mean by that when you've described gear addiction? Or I've I've heard it said gas. Have you ever heard that? Gear acquisition syndrome. Oh. (laughs) I've got gas. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard um, people say that. I think we all have it to a certain extent. We even, all have gas. Even, yeah. <laughs> Every kind. Yeah. Um, even if you're shooting with just vintage lenses, you might pretend, oh, I don't need the newest gear. No, you're looking for the old vintage lenses every yeah. day. Like, is there a new one on eBay? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just part of the passion. I think mm-hmm. it's just a tool and it's always fun because the, each tool literally gives you a different result. That's why... It, I always want to try something different just to see, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, how is that going to perform or how is that going to shoot? Like, how do you think somebody can get over a gear addiction or is it even important to... I don't think it's over? important to get over it. I think what you might want to think about is what is your goal? You mm-hmm. know, do you want to be a hobbyist and just collect items? Dude, go for it. Like, have fun, buy stuff. You know, if you don't have that, go for it. You know, if you have that, maybe that's a different discussion. Yeah. Um, but if you're just trying to improve your photography and you keep buying gear, that's not going to do anything. Yes. In my opinion, just if you already have good lenses and your photography still sucks, uh, it's clearly not the gear. Mm-hmm. And it's just whatever you're doing, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So just try to see uh, if you can do it differently. But maybe have a budget, yearly mm-hmm. budget that you allocate mm-hmm. yourself. Maybe also your wife will hate you less. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like, hey, look, honey, yeah. I just bought that new lens. Uh, how much was it? <clears throat> how much was your yoga retreat? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I've really enjoyed my conversation with you. Is there anything that, like, that you want to bring up before we wrap this up that uh, that you'd want to share with somebody who's new to you or new to photography uh, that that would just be a good nugget for them to hear? Um, we're looking for just kind of your overall like philosophy maybe something that you want to share with somebody who wants to do what you're doing hmm that's a good you one you can think about it i mean dun, dun, dun. yeah let's put a jingle white here thanks for now <laughs> for <Yeah>. five minutes <laughs> joking um <laughs> i i think it's just a piece of advice and it's just in general people ask all the time um how how did you become what you're doing or how did you become good at that and i 
I just want to remind if you feel you're not good at something, look at what you believe is good and try to understand what they did and try to do it. You know, mm -hmm. even if you it means copying, just copy that person. doesn't matter. And then don't don't publish it. Then do it a few times. Once you know how to do it, you do your own version of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to post it and be proud of it, go ahead. But like, just say I was training to do like X photographer or X photographer. This is the result. And from there, you'll really learn a lot of uh, tips and tricks on how to get to those results that you love. But as long as you don't do that, you're not going to progress. You know, you might watch a thousand tutorials, but if it's not... If you don't funnel that that energy into something so, like a laser beam, you know, like I want to, just like I told you, I wanted to train to shoot surfers underwater going under a wave. That was my only goal for an hour and a half, like drowning in the water. I was like, I want to get those shots. He needs to be at the right position. I was struggling with all the technical aspects because when you shoot underwater, it's it's all hell's break loose. And you, suddenly you're you're focusing on particles before. Then you try to go in manual, but you can't because you're already in the water. I, I mean, everything gets complicated. But if you put your mind to something and you, you really have a laser focus on what you're trying to learn that day, you make so much progress. Mm. So just do that. <laughs> That's amazing. That was a great bit of advice. If you could collaborate or work with anybody dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, dead. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to try to think. Dead people? Okay. Um, oh, I know. I know. Uh, it's uh, Actually, I don't know how to explain it. It's not... He wouldn't be exactly an artist, but he's an adventurer. Mm -hmm. And he's done so many incredible things. I would love to collab with him or just capture... Being able to capture part of his journey would be amazing to me. And his name is um, Mike Horn. And he, he did some incredible things like going around the world on latitude zero, like literally on the equator, um, walking through the jungle, like the whole Amazonian forest with just a machete and himself over three mm -hmm. months. He did so many things that really inspired me in the adventure world that he's, I would love to be able to capture a little bit of that. Um, he's yeah. French too. Right? He's Swiss. Swiss? French okay. Swiss, yeah. When I look at your work, you're really well-rounded in a lot of different aspects. And now that I've talked to you about this, it seems like uh, that's because you're challenging yourself, trying to learn different types of photography. Yeah. Um, but how do you discipline yourself into... Um, just finding your thing, your voice, and staying disciplined with that. If I'm honest, that's very difficult for me, just because I my interests are very broad. And I was just talking about that with a friend who's an entrepreneur and has too many hobbies too. He's like, I'm interested in too many things. One day I want to be a musician. The next day I want to do that, and at the same time my business. I mean, it, that that's a little bit problematic sometimes. Mm -hmm. So if you're uh, multi-dimensional don't beat yourself up that's pretty cool because otherwise you have too many choices so the the way i see it is more based around um in a way i like being well-rounded right because it gives me that ability to go anywhere and still create something that that is good i won't be as good as the guy who spent literally the past two years and at the same wave you know shooting every day mm -hmm. that's clearly not my goal either but if i can get shots that i'm proud of there and through youtube also my what i really love is being able to share that journey of learning those you know i i feel like when i 
put my mind to something mm-hmm. that's what i'm really good at if if i'm telling you tomorrow i'm gonna take cold showers for the next 30 days i will mm-hmm. like if i tell it to myself i, I won't diverge from that which is great when you want to learn a new skill what what about you do you do you struggle with that <laughs> you're such a podcaster I love <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's a discussion that's interesting yeah yeah um yeah i struggle with uh taking on too many things at once and yeah. over promising um i i always want to impress people so i try to be fast and do things that are really challenging and often i can do that but sometimes i'm late or procrastinate because it's so overwhelming yeah also i have a son who's one year old and i have a wife who stays at home all day uh and she's a stay-at-home mom and uh they need me yeah and i want to be with them so the balance of work and being with them is uh that struggle is real for sure for me the editor or at least shooter someone helping me shoot has been something in my mind especially for that project i almost i almost got got a friend to come with me and i don't i didn't know exactly how that sh- project would turn out so i didn't for video specifically yeah for shooting the videos because i exactly like you said i could turn out so much more content mm-hmm. and i've seen myself being shot by other people uh mm-hmm. just ha- the way i speak and the way i edit removes so much from my mind you mm-hmm. know you're not trying to put your tripod somewhere or whatever you know literally your tripod is is just moving with you you, you know the person <laughs> yeah. is helping you and they're giving you ideas exactly you can bounce off the stuff you're like hey what do you think if i go here oh no the background's not great let's go there what i you know it's it's great and yeah. and um I, I wanted to do that i think i will at one point i haven't decided when it ha- also has to make financial sense um yeah you can yeah. find an intern yeah yeah if anyone's interested yeah (laughs) if anybody's interested email pierre at ask pierre at pierre (laughs) tlambert.com there you go so yeah with that a fake address by the way (laughs) with that how can people find you on social medias so on social medias uh on instagram twitter and youtube you just type uh pierre yeah you just type Pierre T. Lambert, so P-I-E-R-R-E-T-L-A-M-B-E-R-T. Perfect. Uh, if you got it, kudos to you. Otherwise, it should self-populate. And then if you see a guy with a green suit, that's probably me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pierre, it was a pleasure meeting you and having this discussion. Thanks for being on the Golden Hour podcast. Pleasure is all mine. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Pierre T. Lambert. If you want to follow his work, then check him out on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Pierre T. Lambert. And also check out his podcast. He actually has a really entertaining podcast. And he's interviewed people like Lizzie Pierce, who we actually interviewed with Chris Howe. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please consider sharing it with a friend. It's really the best way to get the word out there for podcasts like this. And if you haven't already, then please hit that subscribe button in your iTunes podcast player or whatever podcast player that you choose to use. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast. See you next time.